Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Michelle Eichard talking about her latest book, 14 Talks by Age 14, which guides readers through the 14 essential conversations parents need to have with their kids before they start high school. Michelle's first book was Middle School Makeover, Improving the Way You and Your Child Experience the Middle School Years. Michelle is a member of the Today Show parenting team and NBC News Learn. She's been featured in the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, CNN, Time, and People magazine. Her middle school leadership programs, Athena's Path and Heroes Pursuit, have been implemented at schools across the country, and she speaks around the globe at schools and parenting events. We're talking with Michelle today about how to use the brief framework to have a conversation with a teenager about a difficult topic. This is a system that she has developed that makes these conversations go smoothly, and we're going to look at how it applies in uh, all kinds of different situations, from setting boundaries and rules around dating to vaping and technology use and everything in between. Really excited to dive into all of that and learn about the 14 important conversations parents need to have with teens before they get to high school. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It sounds in here like you've been kind of in this uh, for a long time. You do talks with parents and talks with kids surrounding like all of these issues. And this book, you know, really dives deep into like 14 key issues that parents should talk about with tweens really before they get to high school. So what sort of propelled you into this and what inspired you then to turn it into a book? Well, I have been doing this work now for 15 years. Um, I started when my kids were two and four uh, and they are now 18 and 20. So I'm an empty nester, but I've um, just taken them through the whole sort of growing up journey alongside my work, uh, which has been nice to do. And really what inspired this book is I run a parenting group on Facebook. It's called Less Stressed Middle School Parents. And it's full of parents who want the best for their kids and they want to have deep, meaningful conversations, but they don't know how, in part because kids often seem unwilling to listen. Um, And so parents just have this kind of anxiety around knowing they have important information to share and really caring and really wanting to educate and feeling that there's a roadblock there. So I wanted to look at it very practically in terms of why kids don't talk at that age, um, help parents kind of understand what's happening there developmentally so that you don't take it as personally, and then also give parents real practical tips that they could start to incorporate into their communication with their kids that would open doors for them. And so where do these 14 topics come from? 
how did you narrow down? It seems like there's hundreds. There are um, too many. <laughs> I know. I would bore people if I talked about all this stuff I really want to talk about. Um, so what I did is I I started with just a mad brainstorm of everything I could think of that parents yep. wanted to talk to their kids about. So that was down to the minutia of please wear deodorant and out to the like macro, like please don't drink alcohol and get sick and become dependent, you know, like from the biggest issues, suicide to the tiniest little issues. So I looked at all that. I wrote them all on note cards. I spread them all out. And then I started saying like, okay, these could be paired together. These could be paired together. Yeah, yeah. Chapters are, are broad. They're like how to take care of yourself. But there are examples in there of everything ranging from deodorant to cutting. You talk in the introduction about having walls, putting walls in place, um, and you say um, that your walls personally are sleep, autonomy, unconditional love, and dignity. So what do you mean by putting up walls, and why are those yours? Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive to think that boundaries actually give you more freedom, but I think... One of the challenges parents have in talking to kids is they are really afraid that something's going to come up they're not prepared for. Like, oh, I don't know, is my kid too young for me to start talking about this really heavy topic? I don't want to put something on their radar. Um, Or I won't know the answer if they ask me about that. You know, so, so there's a lot of anxiety around what might happen in this conversation. So I use an analogy of a racquetball court where a lot of things can feel chaotic. <laughs> the ball can fly in a direction that is completely unexpected. It might hit you. You might, you know, if you're me, duck and fall and <laughs> make a fool of yourself. Um, but you have this the safety of these four walls, which mm. allow the ball to go in any direction and you can kind of get control again. So I tried to think about, well, what were my family boundaries that I set for my kids as they were growing up that meant we could have hard conversations Hmm. and, and sleep you mentioned is number one for me. I mean, I am a person who loves sleep and it was really important to me that my kids were well rested. And if I felt like things were going off the rails, I could always just say, you know what, we'll just sleep on it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. It's no big deal. Hmm. So it's an easy out. And also I just think it's really good way to take care of yourself to get enough sleep. And then autonomy was important because I knew from from early on as a parent that I was going to parent the kid I got, right? You, you, you can't just dial up your idea of what a really cool kid is. <laughs> You're just going to get a certain kid and that's what you get. And it's you know a little bit genetics and a little bit nurturing and a little bit who knows what. Magic. So you've got to be really flexible with the kid who arrives to you. Unconditional love is is sort of an expression of that, too. I wanted my kids to know that e- even moments where we were upset with each other um, or really upset with each other, that the underlying current would always be we love each other. We can figure this out, even though right now we're steaming mad, you know, so that was a, a wall for us. And finally, this idea of dignity that not just in our home, that kids and humans and people who we encountered deserved to be treated with dignity and that no matter what we were going to talk about and what feelings we needed to express to each other, 
um, there wouldn't be name calling, there wouldn't be putting down. You could express yourself, but it had to have sort of an air of dignity about it. I like that, the idea of walls. And we talk a lot here about values and, you know, how to build a culture, family culture. And, um, you know, it strikes me that it's sort of a similar idea, just figuring out what's like your non-negotiable things that you can always come back to that sort of are the foundation of your family culture. And I love that metaphor of the walls of the racquetball court. So your book kind of is founded on this model you call the brief model for conversations. Uh, What is a brief conversation and how do you do it? Great. So a brief conversation is just what it sounds like. First and foremost, I don't want any conversation with your tween or teen to be prolonged or for the parent to feel like they have to prove a point or get the last word in or explain everything at once. So um, it's an acronym and each letter stands for something, but I like that it also just very confidently says, have short talks. <laughs> Your kid does not want to sit around for a really long time. And, it, and, it, and a conversation is not a lecture either. Yeah. So it's got to be two-sided. So the way that it works is the letter B in brief stands for begin peacefully. And this is really hard for parents. A topic pops up on their radar and they panic and they're like, oh no, kids are vaping. I better quickly cut to the chase and be like, don't vape, it could kill you. And if you vape, you're gonna be in so much trouble, right? Right. It's not a very peaceful way to engage your child in sharing their ideas and opinions. So I want parents to start with sort of a curiosity, a gentle question or an observation that has nothing to do with your child. Mm. Like, what are you noticing about vape? Are you hearing it come up a lot in the news or do you think it's kind of like past its prime? What are your thoughts? So start gently. Uh, The R stands for relate to your kid. So you want to be on the same team as you're talking about this stuff. Mm. So that might sound like, um, yeah, you know, it just wasn't a thing when I was younger. Of course, everybody was talking about cigarettes then, or just some kind of way to say that you get it. The I in brief is to interview for data. And what I mean by that is you don't want to begin a conversation by peppering your kid with questions. Right. Yeah. You you want to just earn that moment where they trust you enough that you can ask them some questions. And I I also tend to think that like you want to be as neutral as possible during this phase. So the question should probably be general and not, well, have you ever vaped and did you like vaping and how much did you? Yeah, vape? Right. No? Which of your friends are vaping? Can you give me their names and their parents' phone numbers? <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Keep it cool. I want parents to think of it like they are sort of a district attorney who has nothing riding on this case. So like the questions yeah. feel a little boring to you, but you're just earning their trust that you're not going to do what you just said. Cause that's what they're afraid yeah. of. And you point out later in the book, you know, loyalty is so important to teenagers. And so anytime you single out their friends, they're going to be in this conflicting situation where they want to be honest with you, but they want to protect their friends and their friends probably going to win that. <laughs> so. I'm up right. Yeah, that's really that's a great sort of forward part of the book to flash back to right now. Um, yeah. So the E brief the E is echo, and that just means you need to let your kid know that you heard and that you aren't 
racing through to get to the point where you tell them what to do. So echoing is, and yeah. been to a therapist or seen a therapist on TV, he knows it's that thing where you say like, it sounds like you're saying this, right? And you, and you really want to confirm that you're both understanding what each other is saying here because you're probably making assumptions and they might be too. Yeah, right. Make sure you really are on the same page because um, sometimes we hear the words someone's saying, but we are arriving at a different conclusion in our head than what yeah. they're actually trying to voice. You hear the words, you're arriving at a different conclusion, or you're plotting what you're going to say in response. Yeah, not right. thinking. I mean, I'm like a total teacher's pet from, from back in school. So I'm the kid who's always like, somebody else is telling their story. And I'm like, okay, my story will be, you know, not yep. I'm thinking about what I need to say. So we have to check mm. ourselves on that. And the F is the moment that most parents have been waiting for. This is where you get to give a little bit of feedback. So again, it's sort of, you've earned your your moment here. You've established that you're a good listener, that you're curious about what they think and feel. And at this point you can say, well, here's what I'm thinking about the subject. And you can ask them what they're thinking. And, and your feedback may be prescriptive. You may say, well, I sure hope that you don't. <laughs> and here's yeah, why right. I have these concerns. Um, or, you know, however you want it to be, but you've got to arrive at this point last. And what happens is many parents begin at that moment. And that's, okay. So B's begin peacefully, R's relating, um, and kind of finding some common ground. I was interviewing, collecting the data. E was, um, echoing back what they said and making them feel heard. And then F was finally giving the feedback. I like that. And it's cool. Uh, it's memorable and succinct. And it's nice how you use it throughout the book. So we go through these then 14 different topics of conversations. And each one, um, you have examples of conversations. And you actually show how to follow those steps and structure the talk. And you give examples of exactly what you can say, which is really helpful. So all good. Great stuff. Oh, I'm glad. And I hope that um, I hope that the scripts are helpful in the way that you said that they sort of inspire you to see what might happen. But also the disclaimer is your kid doesn't have the script. <laughs> so they might no, not They're say. not going to follow along <laughs> with their lines. <laughs> oh, but that's not what you were supposed to say. No, no, no. You were supposed to say, yes, mom. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> exactly. You, you can only do what you can do. I say this is a lot more improv than, you know, script for a play. So there's a study in here about reading emotions in people's faces. And you say, uh, you know, they put people in an MRI scanner and show them pictures of emotional faces and adults were able to read them correctly a hundred percent of the time, but teenagers were only accurate 50% of the time. And also they're using a different part of their brain to actually assess what is going on there. So what does that tell us about parents and teenagers and what should we do about it? This is, I think, the the piece of advice that I get the most feedback on from parents in terms of being a game changer for how they talk to their kid. So um, this is a study that came out of McLean Hospital, which is one of Harvard's teaching hospitals. And there's a neurologist there 
Deborah Yergel and Todd, and she put adults through an MRI. And while they were in there, had their brain hooked up, she showed them pictures of people's faces, just emoting very general expressions. And she said, just based on looking at this person's face, can you tell me what they're feeling? And as you said, 100% of the time, adults can do that. They could say, yes, she, that, that woman feels frightened, or that woman feels angry, or that woman feels happy. And then uh, because they were hooked up to an MRI, she could see that they were using the prefrontal cortex in order to read facial expressions. So she did the same thing again with teenagers, and they got it wrong 50% of the time. And the interesting thing is that they weren't using the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. um, is the part of the brain that's responsible for things like decision-making and critical thinking and reading facial expressions. But it sort of um, recalibrates itself and essentially takes a break during the teen years. So the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain, it it's like a spaz and it just jumps up and it's like, please pick me. I want to do all the decision-making. And it tries to read facial expressions. And when it gets it wrong, 50% of the time, it almost always chooses anger as the expression it sees. So I know for me, I'm 48. Uh, when I look concerned, I have a really wrinkled forehead. Also, when I'm angry, I have a wrinkled forehead. But when I'm interested, I have a wrinkled forehead. And when I want to show empathy, I have a wrinkled forehead. So my wrinkly forehead is just a fact of life. And it's also how I express a wide range of emotions. But when a, a middle schooler or a teenager sees that furrowed brow, they automatically think anger. So I have parents who tell me all the time, I don't know why things just went so crazy at my house. Yeah. My daughter came home. She walked in. I said, hey, how was your math test? And she yelled, I don't know why you're so upset. I don't even know what grade I got yet and stormed off. And I said, oh, you probably wrinkled your forehead <laughs> and you didn't even know it. So the tip, right. the tip is, uh, I call it having a Botox brow and you don't actually have to get Botox, but I want you to pretend <laughs> you're a celebrity on a late night talk show and you've been so overly Botoxed, you can't move your forehead. Mm. And just have a super neutral expression when you're talking to your kid. And, and it, it's total game changer. Your kid will open up and talk to you about all kinds of stuff because they don't think you're mad at them. <laughs> I like that. So do you practice that? Like, um, how, how do you get good at that? I feel like that's easy to forget. You do have to practice. And I would just sort of use my palm and iron out my forehead whenever I'm talking to my kids. Yeah. Um, and then eventually you just... You just train your forehead to just stay in one position, but you'll mess up. You'll, you'll crinkle a lot and that's totally fine. But right. the other thing you can do is if you sense that, that that's happening, you can say, oh, wait, do you think I'm angry? Cause I have a headache and I just want to say, I'm not at all angry or mm -hmm. I'm just truly interested. I'm, I'm kind of excited or use your words. <laughs> If you follow my email list, you might have read about my brother, Eric. Eric was on the other side of the world volunteering at a neurology clinic in India when he realized that he wanted to become a doctor. The problem was he studied liberal arts in college and hadn't taken any of the prerequisite science classes. So Eric started working with a private tutor to learn chemistry, biology, calculus, and physics and he enrolled in a post-baccalaureate program. 
three years later, he was the number one student in his chemistry program out of hundreds of other college students, and he's on his way to medical school. After seeing the power of tutoring to change Eric's life, we decided to start a tutoring company, ZoomTutor.com. It doesn't cost anything to try us out. Your first session is free. Head on over to ZoomTutor.com, set up your free session, and let us know you heard about us on the Talking to Teens podcast, and we'll give you a second free session. You have some really interesting tips on not being passive-aggressive in here, which I really liked, um, and a few phrases um, that we should avoid. Uh, lighten up. Fine. Don't overreact. Whatever you want. And you must have missed my point. What's wrong with these phrases, and um, why should we avoid them? What should we say instead? So I think that those phrases are... Um... They're sort of crutches for us when we feel as though we have been um, undervalued or underappreciated or um, someone's mistreating us. And when we don't know how to get them to feel the way we want them to feel about us, which is grateful and appreciative and loving, right. it feels like that's the go-to. It's, it's, it's the verbal way of throwing your hands up in the air and walking out of the room and being like, well, just forget it. Um, and I think all of those phrases are common and they all deliver the same sort of um, conversation ending message, which is like, I, I'm just not going to engage with you. It's whatever. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Whatever you think. So I I'm guilty of it. I know. And I think that part of the reason we do this, as I said, is because you're desperate to be treated differently and you don't know how to get that. But no one ever hears a statement like that and has an epiphany. They just get irritated. <laughs> yeah, right. So as much as we want it to work, it doesn't work. And what actually works is saying how you actually feel. And that takes a deep breath and just saying, I don't know, I just feel undervalued right now. Let me take a little break and think about why that is. I, I just wish that um, that people appreciated the work I do around here or that you felt some gratitude for the time I spent making this meal, even if it's not your favorite or whatever it is, but you can say that mm. in a really clear, kind and simple way without being accusatory and without being passive aggressive. And there's also like an implication in a couple of these, like saying lighten up or don't overreact. That is like you're like pushing the blame onto your teenager. Like, well, hey, because everything I said was totally clear and it was totally fine. So I don't know why you're overreacting because, um, you know, I'm doing this perfectly. And it's a little bit of like a, uh, yeah, I see why it's in the passive aggressive section because um, it's sort of like a sneaky way of um, putting the blame on your teenager for like the whatever's happening in the conversation. Yeah, I think that's really wise. That's such a good way of looking at it because we do... Um, I mean, I think it's, it is factual to say that teens are more emotional. That's that amygdala center of their brain that is right. working really hard for them. Um, but it's also nice to accept that that comes with some really great side effects. Kids are highly emotional. Teens are highly emotional, but that also can make them incredibly empathetic. That can make them incredibly motivated. Um, 
they they can be highly um, sensitive to your needs if you're good at expressing them. And so when you blow them off for being emotional, it's not a bit fair. There's got to be a better way of talking through that. And what does that look like? I think the best way, whether your child is having an emotional moment or not, I mean, if your child's really emotional, then time is your friend. I think it's nice to just say, let um, things cool down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, like this is this is a lot. I understand. I understand why you're getting really emotional about this. It's a lot to think about and a lot to process. Um, let's take some time. And I do suggest a technique that I think works really well for kids who are getting really ramped up and you can't quite figure out what's happening with them emotionally. It's something I call try this first. So in a moment when things are really pleasant, you can say like, oh, I heard this lady on a podcast or however you want to bring it up. Um, And she suggested making a list of 10 things that make you feel better when you do them. So that that can they do not have to be groundbreaking. It could be watching YouTube videos of puppies or doing yoga or baking a cupcake, you know, tray of cupcakes or anything. It doesn't have to be super productive. It just has to make you feel nice when you do it. So you list those 10 things out. And then when your child is having a freak out, you can do what I just said. Like, I understand this is a lot. Why don't you go to your room for just 30 minutes and do something on your try this list. Just treat yourself to that time to do whatever it is that makes you feel good. If it's watching a sitcom or listening to Taylor Swift, doesn't matter what it is. And in 30 minutes, let's get back together and let's talk about what we think we should do next. Almost all the time that cool off period of just relaxing and indulging will completely change the vibe. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, maybe you can do something on your own list as well. I uh, had this talk interview with this lady named Joni Geltman at one point, and she has like a um, cool tactic that she said, which is um, sort of, I'm reminded when we're talking about like this, putting the blame on your teenager, where she says, um, you know, saying like, we're both, we're both getting out of hand right now. Um, you know, taking some of the responsibility yourself, you know, instead of saying like, Hey, you really need to calm down. It's like, Hey, we are, this things are getting a little out of hand. I think we both need to calm down a little bit. Um, and yeah, maybe, you know, you can make your own list too and, uh, have, uh, go do something off of that. I highly encourage it. The one piece of advice I always give to parents of middle schoolers is get a hobby. Mm. (laughs) So often we feel like our kids are our everything and our hobbies, and that's really detrimental to you and the kid, but you should have some things that you love to do that are just for you and you should take time to do them. Talk to me about independence Again, you have a, a section of kind of things not to say in the independence chapter, which I really thought were savvy. Why should we avoid saying, I know you're ready, but I'm not ready. Um, I love you too much to let you go. It's not you I'm worried about. It's all the other people out there. And simply, I said no. Yeah. So some of those, I think, are just grasping at straws for something that will get the kid to stop talking about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I said no is a great example of that. Um, just, it's really just just stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just think it's not enough if your kid isn't ready to do something independently that they want to do. 
then I think you've got to provide them some benchmarks for what will show to you that they're ready. Mm. And I have some of those in the book, but um, you know, that can be like being able to move around in the world safely. Like I see that when you cross the street, you aren't looking both ways. That's a big concern. So let's practice that. And when you've got some proficiency there, that's awesome. You'll be ready to, to go up and play basketball at the school without anybody walking you up there, whatever it might be. So that's yeah. one. The one that really bums me out the most is the one, the one about um, it's not you, it's everyone else I'm worried about. Yeah, right. It sounds like a compliment to the kid. Yeah, right, right, right. No, it's not that I don't trust you. It's I don't trust everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. We, we say that all the time to kids. Totally. I think it sort of butters them up. <laughs> right. But it doesn't. I, I think it frustrates them because it, truly, if you did trust them, you would let them go. Because it's not right. as if in four months or three years or whenever you do let them go out independently, which I assume you will, it's not at some point you're going to let them have to, right? (laughs) So so what has happened on that day that's changed? Suddenly there are no predators in the world. All those terrible people just disappeared. Yeah. Cars driving fast. There's no, like all the same risks will always be there. Exactly. Yeah. So it really is, it does have to do with your child's readiness and trustworthiness and putting it any other way, I think is unfair. And it goes back to, well, how do we get you ready? We're here with Michelle Eichard talking about the 14 critical conversations parents need to have with kids before they get to high school and how to make them go smoothly. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Because if you just wanted them to be healthy, you probably wouldn't say anything and you'd let them develop an intuitive sense of what is right for their own body. But I just want you to be healthy I think means, I just want you to eat the foods that I tell you are healthy. What I will say works best is typically a one-on-one situation. Parents are lured into this idea that a group outing will be safer. Mm. But if two kids are interested in each other and, and even hanging out or dating or whatever the word is, then a group mentality often tries to dare them to do things and make them mm. the center of the group. And, and it's much better to just be two really awkward, nervous kids standing in the food court. <laughs> and so when it came to my kids, <laughs> when I was highly emotional with them when they were in the middle school age range, I would say to myself, who is a parent on TV who is very chill? <laughs> like, ah. could I, I could be... I could channel Andy Griffith. I could channel Claire Huxtable. I could channel like any number of very cool, calm. It doesn't have to be a parent. It could be cool hand Luke. It doesn't matter. Whoever you think is a really chill person and talk as if you were that person talking to someone who is not related to you. And it brings out the best in you as a communicator. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.